Some of y'all don't remember how you used to be. Maybe you've been doing all right so long. You forgot how awful it felt. How much you were praying for the Lord to do something different in your life. You've been waiting on this moment for so long. I'm thinking that some folk have just forgotten. Yeah, that, that, that what's going on in their lives right now. You prayed for this. You don't want to go back to that stuff that was going on. Yeah, we, we romanticize about the history, about how things used to be, about how things were yesterday. But I remember, yeah, it was some awful sometime. Yeah, I was some awful sometime. So I'm fighting. I won't go back. No, before his presence, that moment in time. Like, like, like a, a, a snapping finger. He came into my life and made everything better, better, better. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for how wonderful you are. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you for doing it in spite of me. Thank you for not listening to me. I asked for something, Lord, but I really didn't know what I was asking for. And what, what, what I was asking for was more of you. And so thank you for blessing me with such as I needed. And, and not just me, Lord, everybody who's in this congregation stood in need of something. Some still stand in need of something, Lord. And so I'm asking you to, to meet them at the point of need and change their lives as only you can. Strengthen them with the courage to make a change in their lives, Lord. I, I know, I know. It's frightening, Lord, to do something different, but to keep on doing the same thing and getting the same result is the definition of insanity, Lord. And so I'm asking you to bless them and touch them and keep them, not just us individually, Lord, but us collectively. Help us to have the strength to move forward and, and bless other folk with the knowledge of how good you are. We call it the good news, Lord, and the, the good news is just a story of you and your life. Help us to tell folk all about it. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. I'm so thankful today to be able to be in worship with you. It seemed like a long time since I've been here, and it's just been a couple of weeks, but I'm glad to be here today. Karen and I were fortunate enough last week this time to, uh, well, not exactly this time, but to be in worship in Stockton, California. 
Stockton, California. We were in San Francisco. We Ubered over to Stockton and shared a worship opportunity with our brother and sister, her sister and a brother-in-law at Progressive Community Church. It's a great service. They've been here a few times and worshiped with us, and so, you know, we wanted to go and share with them. And, oh, my goodness, you don't know the perspective for a preacher to just be in worship sometimes. I just needed to be in a service. And I was so thankful, and the Lord blessed me. Pastor Shields there, Glenn Shields, who's been here, and we've shared dinner with him here in Birmingham. Um, such a gracious guy, and so we're thankful for the fellowship we have there with him. But I'm glad to be here today, and I want to continue this message, this sermon series I started a few weeks ago for you, called The Struggle is Real. The struggle is Real. I can tell by the way y'all were singing, I won't go back, that y'all know the struggle is real. I want to thank Casanova for telling us about One More Night with Them Frogs last week. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, he literally pulled one out. <laughs> we started a few weeks ago talking about uh, some issues that come up in our lives and how we need to change them. And we're talking about various aspects of our lives that keep us struggling. Keep us struggling, I guess is the best way I can frame it. Uh, we've talked about uh, insecurity. We've talked about having unmet expectations, and we've talked about jealousy. We even talked about fear and how it can collide with our faith sometimes. And so today I want to talk about another aspect that I believe, I hate to use the word dogs us, but it's something I think we need to grow from. The underlying scripture is Genesis chapter 18. If y'all let me do some teaching this morning, I think we can get some blessing out of this. Yeah, I think we can. So you're going to need your Bible and walk with me just a little bit to get some of this out. I won't have you turning too many pages, but in fact, I won't quote a whole lot of scripture. If you just listen and follow along and pray for me, then I believe the blessing will come out of it. Genesis chapter 18. I want to read in your hearing verses 10 through 15. Genesis chapter 18, verses 10 through 15. Came, I believe I'm reading from the NIV version. I don't know what display you might have. Okay. And it reads, Then one of them said, obviously entering into a conversation. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. We call that ear hustling. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah, look at this, laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? In her sarcastic voice. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? And then he said something that you ought to be saying to yourself. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, look at this, so she lied, and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Yeah, today I want to talk about doubt. 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 And if you have to have a central thought, then it'll be, oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did. Or, or the Lord always has the last laugh. The Lord always has the last laugh. Help me out with this. Now, how many of y'all are mature enough in your faith walk to acknowledge that from time to time you have doubts about things? Raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. And truth of the matter is, as we travel on this life journey, from time to time, we're going to detour to a place called doubt. But that doubt road is always going to have a fork at the end. And you have to make a decision which direction you're going to take. Now, the determining factor on which road you'll take is going to be determined, about, determined by whether your doubt is negative or positive. And by your final decision, you're going to either elevate or stunt your faith walk in the decision you make. See, on one hand, the road will lead to skepticism, depending on which way you go. And then that skepticism ultimately ends in unbelief. The other road is one where you'll start discovering truths that you didn't understand, and it will actually allow you to go to a greater revelation in your walk with the Lord. So hear this, start out with this as your premise. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. All right? Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is not. All right? Some people would have you believe that when you doubt something, that doubt is the opposite of faith, but it's not true. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt, is not doubt that is not resolved can lead to unbelief. And some believers would have you think that they've never doubted. Some people think they're so holy and that their walk is so pristine that they don't ever have any question about anything in the world and that whatever comes out, that's it. You know? But the truth of the matter is, if you're human, you're going to question some things that come about. We all have doubts. It's just human nature. We may have doubts that are uh, a continuing factor in our lives from when we were younger, or new things may happen in our lives that cause us to doubt things. Uh, doubt is not a sign of failure unless you leave it unresolved. That's when doubt becomes a sign of failure and becomes a problem. And so the difference between the two roads is what we're going to discover in Scripture today. The first, the first one I want to talk to you about in trying to resolve this doubt issue is how you resolve the, 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 the unbelief you feel when something in your life, I guess we can go back to, doesn't meet those expectations that you had. You come to that fork in the road. So 
You need to understand this and be truthful with yourself. When you reach that point, you're not doubting the obstacle that's in front of you. You're not doubting the size of the job you have to do. You're doubting God. And if you're mature enough, you can acknowledge that what I'm questioning right here is God and whether he's able to do what he said is going to happen. It's not how impossible things appear, but it's our inability to trust the Lord under the circumstances. And so if we start doubting the things promised to us will come to pass, then we're not saying that we're not able to perform that. What we're saying is that God isn't able to perform those things. And that's when we have problems because we don't want to be seen as challenging whether God has the ability. But the truth of the matter is that's where we are when we ask those questions. The consequences of choosing the road of unbelief is that ultimately you're going to miss out on the blessings that God has promised for you. Choosing the road of unbelief, however, is easier and safer, but I want to quote to you someone who said, who said something that helps us. A ship is safest in harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. Your, your faith is safest when you hold it close to the vest, but that's not what you got faith for. Your faith is supposed to grow. Your faith is supposed to be put to the challenge, put to the test. That's how you grow in your relationship with the, with the Lord. The other test, uh, the other route you can choose from is the route that will lead you to a revelation of truth. I, I bet if I go around the room and start asking folks how you grew, grew your faith and in your faith walk with the Lord, I believe we'll get down to a personal level where folks say, such and such happened in my life. And if they tell the truth, they'll say, I was afraid and I didn't know what to do. Somewhere in that conversation you're going to hear, but I trusted the Lord. In other words, they're going to say, but I waited to see what God was going to do under the circumstances, and I had faith enough to know that he would do something that would be beneficial to me, and I came out on the other end with the byproduct of that being my faith grew. But it all started because I was uncertain in the first place. The greatest example of this in Scripture in the New Testament, well, one of the greatest examples we can find is a man named John. You know John. Some folk refer to him as John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist started life knowing who Jesus was. We know that John not only started life knowing who Jesus was, we know that John knew who Jesus was before John and Jesus were even born. The Bible says that when Mary and Elizabeth came close to one another, John leapt at the presence of Jesus in Mary's stomach. There's no doubt he knew he was Messiah. And so it wasn't that he didn't believe in Jesus when life got hard. It's just that circumstances jumped down on him all the way. And he had to start questioning whether or not he was following the right person. I'd say when the king says he's going to kill you, when the king's wife says who, well, really she was his but, but, but when, the, when the king's raggedy situation draws you into the web of craziness, you've been thrown in jail, you don't see anybody you know, the only contact with the outside world you have are a few disciples who can bring you something on visitation day. This is John's world. Now, he had been used to living <clears throat> out in the desert. 
He had been used to having his own way, and suddenly he's confined. He can't, he can't see the folk he knows. Life is turned upside down. Anybody in here ever had their life turned upside down like that? When things just get raggedy, and even though you knew before that day came, everything was all right. He knew Jesus Christ. Look, this is the same John the Baptist that baptized Jesus. He knew who, John, who Jesus was, and yet he had a question, a doubt that arose, Pam, when he had to send his disciples back to Jesus and say, just ask him one question for me, because I'm, I'm tight in here, and visitation ain't long, and I'm about to run out of quarters on this machine, but can you just tell him, ask him this question for me, are you the one, or should I just wait for another to come? Are you the one? Now, if John the Baptist had these questions, Having known all his life, if John the Baptist, the same one who saw Jesus coming over a hill while he was standing in the water baptizing him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. If this John had problems understanding who Jesus was and questioning whether his purpose was true, then you know you and I have never gone through those circumstances. We're going to have some questions every now and then. The word doubt comes from the word which means double-minded. Look, John didn't have unbelief. He didn't. He didn't have unbelief. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But what he needed to know at that time when he was in that circumstances, he needed, write this word down, validation. I need some validation, Lord. Just, 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 just con uh, assure me, you know, that blessed assurance that even though you're going through something right now, I'm with you as you go through the circumstances. I might not get you out of the circumstances you're in, but that doesn't mean I'm not with you while you go through it. In other words, what you're going through has a greater purpose than you realize, and it might not feel good, but you're not alone in that place. And how did Jesus respond? to the validation request when, when, when he said, are you the one? The disciples went back to Jesus Christ and they said, John's in a bad way, master. John needs to know something. You got to tell him something that's going to help him out because he's struggling in that jail and that Herod is talking about he's going to kill him and, 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 and he don't know what to do. And Jesus simply said to him, he didn't fuss at John. He didn't chastise John. He didn't castigate him for being faithless. Jesus simply answered them according to Matthew 11. You look at Matthew 11, chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. Jesus simply turned to John's disciples and said to them, go and show John again. Look, I'm going to slow down a little bit. I get excited. Jesus said, go and show John again. Uh, again. In, in other words, Remind John, remind him of these things that you see and hear going on around town. Don't let it escape your glance, Casanova, what's happening around town. He said, go tell him that the blind are receiving their sight. Go tell him that lame folk are walking again. Go tell him that lepers are being cleansed. Go tell him that deaf folk are hearing again. And guess what? The dead folk are rising up. 
Go tell John these things and let him know that all things that were promised from Messiah are being done by me right now. Not unbelief, but validation that he is who he said he was. Now y'all say, is this still happening right now? I, I bet I can tell you right now that there are folk walking around you who are blind, but when you tell them about Jesus Christ, their eyes open. Didn't that man say that when he wrote Amazing Grace? He said, I once was blind, but now I, I can see. And then, and then you got folk who were lame. There's some miracles happening right now. I can drive you to UAB, St. Vincent's. I can, folk over there, the doctor said, we don't know how you're going to get out of the bed. And they're getting up and walking out. In fact, they're waving at the doctor as he gets in his car as they leave. That's how good God has been to him. And then lepers are cleansed every day. Folk around here walking with the diseases that you and I thought nobody could ever get rid of. And yet the Lord is still blessing them. Folks said everybody that got AIDS was going to die from it. And yet folk been, been Magic Johnson ain't even got none in his system no more. Why? Because God is still blessing folk. Still doing the things that he said he was going to do. And then, you know, we got some folk with, so, uh, with social leprosy who are being cleansed from that social leprosy. Why? Because they fall under the blood of Jesus Christ and they're cleansed to live another day. Deaf people who wouldn't listen to anybody else. Their mama tried to tell them, get up and go to church with me, baby. The dad has said, get up and go to church with me, baby. I don't believe in that religion y'all got. And then they met a girl. And the girl said, if you want to be with me, you need to go to church with me. And guess what? That, that, that compulsion pulled him in church. And suddenly this man who was deaf to the word is not listening. Why? Because somebody brought the good news to him. Yeah, deaf are still listening to him. John had his faith validated. And so then we turn to Abraham and Sarah. We turn to them. We come to them mid-promise midpoint in the story. And if I was to give you a quick recap, Abraham and Sarah, at the point we read it in verse, in chapter 18, are hearing that same old story from the Lord. Y'all don't want to hear me. See, sometimes folk keep getting the same promise from the Lord, and because they've gotten it so long, they get tired of it not coming true, because part of faith is patience. That's almost a bad word in 2019. Folk want everything now. They, they want it now, immediately. But some things take a long time to develop. Look, look, look at this. If we were to go back and recap the story of Abraham and Sarah so you can understand this doubt enigma we have, God makes an initial promise to a man named Abram, 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 whose wife's Name is Sarah, S-A-R-A-I. Everybody gets their name, ch name changed in this story. And their name is changed for a reason, all right? As they walk closer, peanut didn't work real good for them no more, so God had to change their name on them. And you need to know that, too. You outlive your nickname sometimes, too. Yeah, yeah, the Lord said, you can't be Reverend Peanut. That don't work real good, so they changed your name. Reverend Dr. Peanut in the house, that don't work. So they change your name for a higher, a higher purpose. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, walk with me now. In Genesis chapter 12 was made, was given a threefold promise from the Lord. Right? The first thing God told Abram is that he would have a land. 
So I'm going to give you a land. The second thing he told him is that that land would become a great nation. And the third thing, and that means a great nation, meant he was going to have a whole lot of descendants coming from his land. And the third thing he told him is that he would be blessed to be a blessing. And if I get a little deeper in that, he said, the folk who love you, I'm going to love them. And the folk who mess with you, messing with me too. All right, this is what the Lord told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Now, you need to understand this. In order for the two big promises in that, in other words, for his uh, nation, his, his ancestors to be a great nation, and that he would be a blessing to other folk, in order for those two things to come, tr come true, one important thing has got to happen, Anthony. They got to have a baby. He and his wife have got to have a baby, and guess what? She was barren. So here is God making these promises to folk in chapter 12. And they can't have one baby, let alone a whole nation. Y'all need to understand how promises are. But God always has the last laugh. For our purposes, without this birth, the promises don't mean anything to them. And so this is chapter 12. God makes these promises. And we move on down years later, and the revelation in chapter 15, we don't know how much time has passed, but we know that Sarah and Abram have gotten much, much older. And God came to Abram again and said to him, he said, I told you you were going to be a great nation. I told you your descendants were going to be blessed. And he said, he took him outside, England, on a starry night, and he said, look up at the sky and see if you can count the stars up there. And he said, so will the descendant, your descendants be. As many stars as there are in the sky, you won't be able to count them. And I'm sure Abram is like, I heard this before the Lord, and I've heard this before the Lord. You told me this before now. And yet, he received the, the promise that God gave to him. But after going this amount of time, you and I both know it's human nature to start being just a little skeptical Lord, you told me this years ago, and yet me and Sarah still running around here, just the two of us. Yeah. We're not able to just make all this happen. I'm getting older, she's getting older, and Sarah is still barren. And we just don't see it happening. And then we move on to chapter, 13, chapter 16 in Genesis. And Sarah decided she was tired of waiting on the Lord to make it happen. And so she said, I'm going to put my own plan in action. She said, this is Sarah 1.0, all right? I'm going to make the promise come true myself. And so she said, I tell you what, Abram, since I'm barren and I can't make the promise come true, you see a Hagar out there, your handmaid. He said, you go out there and have a baby with her, and maybe by her you can make the promise of the Lord come true. Everybody turn to somebody and say, God don't need no help. Yeah, yeah. No matter how good the plan might be. God does not need our help when he's in charge. It may not be coming when you want it to come, but that doesn't mean that God is not going to keep, keep his promises. But the crazy thing about her telling Abraham to go out there and make a baby with Hagar is this. That leaves her out of the promise. She's not included in the promise at that point. God doesn't create division. God doesn't create mess. 
God doesn't create turmoil, man does, which is why the Israelis and the Palestinians are at each other's throat right now. That's not a God-made mess, that's a man-made mess. Just even this week, we still see the problems going on, and it's all because Sarah said, Abraham, go in there and talk to Hagar. All these many, many years later, we're still having problems. And so verse 16, Sarah messed it up, trying to straighten it up. And then chapter 17, we walk on along. God came to Abraham again and repeated the promise again, and I'm sure Abraham is rolling his eyes at this point. Here we go again. I know. He's like, I know. I'm going to be a great nation. You know how you go ahead and say it because he's sarcastic at this point. I know. Waka, 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 waka. Great nation, sun, stars. You know, he don't want to hear. You know how we do it when folk keep coming in. You're going to get that promotion. You're going to get that promotion. It's been 10 years, man. I ain't got no promotion. My children going off to college, man. I'm broke now, but I ain't got no promotion. He comes in and God says, I'm going to change your name. He said, oh, you're going to give me a new title, but they ain't going to come with no money, huh? Oh, <laughs> That's what you're going to do. I got a new title. Yeah. You know, Chief. Yeah. He said, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, for I've made you the ancestor to a multitude of nations. You need a longer name to go with your title, dog. And so God made it clear that Sarah was a part of the covenant he promised to him in chapter 12 that Sarah had no business trying to help when she tried to help in chapter 16. And he said, my promise is my promise, and I don't need nobody's help to make my promise come true. And he said, I will bless you, and Sarah will be the wife through which I will bless you. And Abraham had a twofold reaction. Watch this now. The first thing he did was fall. This is true. This is scripture. Fell down on his knees laughing. That's the scripture. He laughed. He laughed. I can't believe this, Lord. I'm getting older. I can't do the things I used to do. And you keep telling me I'm going to have a child. And he said, and Lord Ishmael over there, my boy, said, please, Lord, bless him. Bless him. Bless him. In other words, he's attached. He loves the son. And he doesn't want anything to happen to him. And God validates him and said, Ishmael shall be a great nation as well. He said, but I'm going to bless you through Sarah. And that was in verse 17, I mean, chapter 17. But he laughs at God. Why is that important? Because God always has a last laugh. And so then we come to the story we're talking about today, chapter 18. I did all that to let you know that they, God didn't just come in chapter 18 and promise them something. God has been telling them all along, you're going to be mighty. Because I know some folk in here, you on your chapter 18, but God promised you back in chapter 12 of your life that you were going to get something great. And you've been waiting all these years for the Lord to bless you and take care of you. And you, you just don't know how you're going to hold on. You become cynical and you don't understand. Lord, how are you going to make it come true in my life? I came to tell you today, God always has the last last. And, and so here comes Sarah. Sarah's ear hustling. Abraham is sitting outside the tent one day, according to chapter 18, I'm paraphrasing. Sitting outside his tent, here come three men, three men. And because the hospitality of that day required them to, required them 
to host strangers and take care of them. Abraham called them in, set a spread out for them, and took care of them. That was the hospitality of the day. They didn't shoo strangers away. They invited them in. In other words, their expression of hospitality was a sign of their commitment to the Lord. So they brought them in. They fed them. They killed the calf. They baked for them. They fed them. And while they were sitting there, because of the graciousness of their hospitality, the Lord, man from God, said to him, a year from now, I'm going to come back. Oh, you look. Look now. A year from now. Oh, we got a date certain. Doctor gave you a due date. All right. A year from now, I'm coming back. And your wife will have a baby. A year from now, we've come from 12 to 18. And now the doctor walks in and say, all right, we know. Baby's in utero. A year from now. And because of all that's happened, the Bible says, watch this now, that Sarah, who was ear hustling, laughs. But it doesn't say she laughs out loud. The Bible, the word that she used says she laughs inwardly. You study it, it says in her belly. Come on now. She laughs in her belly. Why in the belly? Well, babies come from the belly. <laughs> she doesn't laugh out, but she laughs inwardly. And when she laughs inwardly, the man calls her out and said, why did your wife laugh? Why does your wife laugh at the promise that God is making for her? And Sarah, afraid because this man has called her out because she was laughing internally. She doesn't know who she's dealing with at this point. Be careful who you laugh at. Oh, amen. Be careful who you're laughing at. Be careful when you laugh at what folks say. It might sound crazy to you. But be careful. You never know who you're dealing with. And it goes back to that old adage, Ms. Johnson. Be careful when you entertain strangers because you may unknowingly entertain angels. And here she is talking and she's laughing at the good news that's been sent to her. Can I tell you something? If you want some good news in your life, does it matter if it comes in the Inquirer or AL.com? Or what does it matter what mode it comes in? As long as somebody brings you the good news. And so she, she laughs. And that's important when I tell you about her laughing because at this point, she's tired, y'all. She don't know what to believe. She said, my body's old. The custom of women is not upon me anymore. In other words, she gone through menopause. That ain't happening no more. So how are you going to deal with me? when my body is not even capable of doing that which is required to produce a child according to man's way. She forgot, though, because it was too early in the walk. She didn't know. She couldn't know that later God would put a baby in a virgin. She didn't know that. She, she didn't know that God can do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't need for everything to be operational in the way that we need it to be operational. God can do what he wants to do. Not only did he put a baby in a virgin, he put his son in a virgin. God can do what he wants to do when he wants to. And Sarah laughed at him. And then when she was called about Anthony, she lied. Oh, she lied because she was caught. Now, the only reason I'm saying this to you is because some of y'all have too. 
some of y'all have to, some of y'all have laughed at the promises that God has, has made to you. Because it's taken too long for it to happen. God told you you were going to be blank. And early on, you were excited. You ran with it. You, were, you wanted to do whatever God said you were going to do. But then it took too long. Took too long. And here you are at a later stage in your life. And guess what? You have gotten to a point where you have doubt. You got doubt as to whether or not God can really do or will really do what he said he was going to do in your life. And that's why I walked you from 12 to 18, because I want you to know that God has a way of doing what he said he's going to do. His ways are not our ways, but he always comes through and makes it happen. And here she is right now. She's laughing, but she's afraid to acknowledge that I'm doubtful, Lord, that you can do in my life what you said you were going to do. And so when she said, I didn't laugh, the man of God said, oh, yes, you did. I came to tell you today that, oh, yes, you did. You've been laughing at what God says he's going to do for you. He said, she said, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And that's when the man of God says to her, what I came to tell you today, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for God to do? Is there anything that he can't accomplish if it's his will and his desire? And so here we go. We get past 18. We get to 18, and we, and we realize that God, in fact, a year later, a baby is there. Baby comes to this woman who was beyond the age of rearing a child. And the Lord tells them to name the child Isaac. Isaac. And didn't I tell you that the Lord always has the, set, the last laugh? If you go and study the etymology, that means to study the history of how names come, you'll find that the name Isaac means laughter. Okay. Amen. Laughter. That's the meaning of the name Isaac. Yeah, not only am I going to give you a child, I'm going to validate to you that I always have the last laugh. The baby's name means laughter, so much so that Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. And everybody who hears about it will laugh with me. That's how good God is. Laughter, validated faith. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he said he would. He brought a great nation to Abraham out of Sarah. Now a whole lot of folk will come preach to you and validate to you that God promised, God promised to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. You hear this in church time after time. But I came to tell you today because I believe it's time for empowerment that there was somebody else who got in on that promise. It wasn't just for Abraham, it was also for Sarah. Sarah, not only could God bring life out of an old man, guess what? He could also bring life and faith out of an old woman too. She was part of a promise that God made. That promise could not come true the way God said it would, but for Sarah being blessed, just like her husband was. And so I want you to know, God always keeps his promises. If you laugh at the Lord, be careful. And, I, and I, look at this now. In chapter 17, Abraham laughed. But he didn't get fussed at by the man. 
Only in chapter 18, when she laughs, is there chastisement because her chastisement borders on faithlessness. And she hides it, and so she has to be corrected. And I came to tell you today, be careful when you struggle with the promises that come from the Lord. His yes means yes. He's going to bless you in the way that he says he's going to bless you. Doubt is not negative until you come to the fork in the road of doubt and you choose the road of unbelief. Sarah was hovering on which way to go in that one. I hope you'll stop ignoring the doubt that you have in yourself, and I hope you'll have the courage in your faith walk to ask the tough questions from the Lord. He doesn't mind you asking those questions. Be honest with him, because you can't hide your, thou your thoughts from him anyway. Find somebody who's a good Christian believer who can help you struggle through those times and give you good information. Seek the truth, and guess what? The truth will come to you. There's something powerful about the mind. We're going to ask questions. And sometimes when we get negativity in our spirit, it tears us up so bad that we can't move forward in our faith walk. Guess what I came to tell you today? There's the power of the mind can help you either be positive or negative. There is a story that has been written and turned into a movie. And it's called The Farewell. The Farewell is coming out later this year. It's about a Chinese family. And it supports a theory that was created a few years ago by a man named Norman Cousins, who was diagnosed with an incurable disease. He was bedridden. Doctors gave him no hope. And so Norman decided he wasn't going to go with what they wanted him to do. He was going to go with his own treatment. His family, this is a true story. His family rented some, they loved Charlie Chaplin. They rented all the Charlie Chaplin movies they could find at the time. And they put Norman in a home, and for days on end, all he did was watch Charlie Chaplin until he was laughing every day about everything that was going on a few Arthur. Just sit back and all these better laughs. And you know what? He ran one movie after another, and the more he watched the movies, the better he started to feel. He didn't feel sick. And the better he felt, the more activity he had, the more energy he had. And pretty soon, he was going back to the doctor, and the doctor couldn't find no cancer in him. It's a crazy thing. It's almost as if Norman turned something on in his body that thought what was going on negatively. And if you didn't think it was scientific, the UCLA School of Medicine is now pioneering, has pioneered a new medical di discipline called psychoneuroimmunology, all based on the theory that the power of self-correction lies within the body itself and with enough positivity, the body has a way to turn on those fighting agents to stop bad things in their tracks. There's evidence now that cancer patients, once you can get them past the depression, have enough within them to fight the disease itself. The human body 
It's more robust than we thought. And so you'll see come out this movie called The Farewell. The Farewell is about an Asian family that found out that their grandmother had cancer. And the family refused to tell her. She didn't get the doctor's reports. Her sister did. They never told her she had terminal cancer. In fact, the whole premise of the story is from the granddaughter who lives in the United States and finds out that Nanai, which is what she called her, had cancer, and she's upset because they won't tell Nanai that Nanai is about to die. And her mama said, you don't live with her. And you don't understand the repercussions of telling her this negative news. It wouldn't be the cancer that would kill her. It would be the fear of the cancer that would kill her. And so they don't, they don't tell her. But they know she's sick. So they plan this elaborate wedding for a cousin. So everybody can come over and say goodbye to Nana without telling. And the movie is about how they work through these issues in life. And guess what? That was four years ago. <laughs> and Nana's still alive. And Nana has gone to the doctor every year. And every year the doctor said, Nana still got terminal cancer. But Nana is just holding on. Why? Because the power of positivity. When you start doubting, you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself. Not only will it kill you physically, it'll certainly kill your faith walk. Yeah, I came to tell you today that the most positive news I can ever tell you is that Jesus is alive. And that he loves you. And that he's been waiting for you to become a part of his family. I bet I got some witnesses in here who know that they once were lost too. They didn't know him and now that they know him, life is better. So I'm extending an invitation to you and inviting you to be a part of his family. Standing invitation, we'll baptize you. Not only will we baptize you, we'll invite you into our fellowship and we'll make you a part of this church family. Maybe you got a church family somewhere and you've decided you need to find somewhere else that's going to bless you. We extend an invitation for you to try here. While the choir stands and sings this song, the doors of our church are wide open. Oh, oh no. Come to Jesus. Just now. Help me. He will.